Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery, where we will continuously bring you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed in any manner whatsoever as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies mentioned. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. So we got quite a bit of information yesterday from the Square team as it was supposed to be their investor day. However, given the global circumstances, we received more of a a near-term update in regards to the dynamics currently taking place at the moment, but also data on the long-term trajectory and and economics of the two core businesses which Square offers. Today, I'm also bringing on a colleague and friend, Max Friedrich from, from ARK Invest, we both cover Square in great detail in our own right. However, we do communicate regularly behind the scenes and bringing that to the forefront. And both of us hold Square in high regards in terms of what they are doing as a business and just how they execute overall. Now, just to level set the conversation for everyone, Square has two core businesses. Their seller business, which offers the service for merchants. Uh, so think coffee shops, arenas, uh, festivals, restaurants. Uh, and others to sell products and services both online and offline. Uh, roughly $125 billion of payment volume moves through that system annually and has been growing north of 20% uh, overall. It's verti- vertically integrated as they produce hardware and software. So think payroll, uh, which we are users of, of their payroll solution, uh, along with a critical access point for sellers to get loans through Square Capital, of which... They have already originated over $2.3 billion in loans as of year-end. Uh, so overall, that's the Square seller business. Um, the second business is Cash App, which is directed towards individuals. Its core functionality is really peer-to-peer payments, but has gone now through a large evolution and has become a true digital wallet for what we believe to be over 30 million monthly active users at the moment. Uh, They launched Bitcoin trading and stock trading recently within the app and offer rewards for spending at certain merchants. Uh, This business is doing remarkably well. And as of the end of February, given the update yesterday, this business was growing its gross profit by 118% year over year. So again, executing wonderfully. Now that I have set the stage for the two businesses, I I want to share with you the conversation with Max. We go over the near-term data points we just received, but also step back and articulate our thoughts around Cash App, uh, the competitive landscape, and and also the thoughts on the on the seller business overall. Before that, and and just to be clear, this conversation is not a recommendation to purchase or sell Square or any other company in which we mention. And both Avery and Company and Ark Invest are investors uh, in Square. So with that, let's just get to the conversation. All right, Max, how you doing? Hey, good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, nice to have you on here. I hope uh, everybody on your side is healthy and, and kind of working through the situation. Obviously, we both communicate offline quite a bit uh, to share some of kind of our, our insights, our data. Um, we have a shared mission, uh, just given our interest in the company. So I thought it would be interesting to to 
uh, have us both on uh, uh, on the podcast today and share our our own internal conversations. Um, I'll open up and give a high level financial update from what we received yesterday, and then we can go back and forth. How does that sound? Sounds good. Cool. So, like as expected, yesterday Square's business was doing very well. Well, heading into the second week of of March, uh, Amrita, the CFO, stated that they were about two percent above plan in terms of growth, profit growth, and and on pace to exceed guidance um, for this quarter end. Um, overall, the two businesses were growing robustly. Overall, the Combined was growing at roughly 51% year over year with Cash App growing 118% and Seller growing 32%. Um, and obviously the world and specifically the US uh, where Square is predominantly um, present in uh, has changed in the last two weeks, putting pressure on their, on their seller business as restaurants and other brick and mortar sellers are really forced to shut down. Um, sellers seeing, seeing all types of daily fl- fluctuations. They mentioned 30% one way or the other. Uh, and GPV over the last 10 days on an average basis is down 25%. Um, on the flip side, Cash App, as mentioned by management, is acting as a form of stability here um, and seeing a, a nice traction and also, again, some stability. They did lower their guidance overall by about 2%, which again shows how strong the business was heading into the situation. Uh, And then they also gave us some insights in terms of liquidity, which is the issue in this environment for every business in the world today. And given that this is a well-run business, they have about $3 billion of cash. Um, They just did a convertible note offering uh, two weeks ago. Uh, This was before really the situation uh, started to take fold in the U.S., and they mentioned that they have about two years worth of liquidity, assuming conditions last for that long. So that was some of the high level financial data we received yesterday. But I guess secondarily to that, Max, wanted to ask you, uh, we did get a deck yesterday, shows a ton of information, a ton of valuable kind of facts and details. And I wanted to digest everything uh, in its entirety for the moment and listening to some of your takeaways from what uh, you heard or saw. So uh, if you could just share maybe two, three, four uh, of some of your, your key takeaways, and I'll share some of mine. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, I have to say, um, to digest, uh, everything for me <laughs> will be a little bit too much because I think there's so much um, that, they, um, that they disclose, and there's so much to kind of dive into and unpack. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to do kind of today and, and tomorrow and then kind of like um, look, look how that affects our modeling and so forth. But I think that a couple of things uh, stood out to me um, on, on the seller side. I think it was good and just reassuring to see that the loan loss rate uh, is going down um, from, from what it looks like um, around 4% in 2016 to uh, around 3% as of today. And that's just... Um, and, and from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, if, uh, if, if I have those numbers right, but for banks, those um, loan loss ratios um, can, can be rather five, six, seven, 8% even range. Um, so as a comparison, that's good to see. And then it's, you know, that decline, I think is just a testament to their 
to their algorithms, um, to, to their abilities around machine learning, which they have been pushing over the years, and just shows you um, how important it is um, to, to control this alternative data um, that how Square, is do, how, how Square is doing it, right? So um, they're seeing all kinds of cash flow from merchants um, and, you know, all kinds of data points when, you know, seasonality, uh, when, when uh, businesses would need some cash um, and they can proactively go to the merchant and so forth. So I think that's uh, kind of a great proof that that model works and shows you how important mm -hmm. alternative data is in lending and what kind of unique advantage you can get um, by doing that. And, you know, you can also see it kind of um, in a market that you have other players like uh, Stripe and so forth now also doing uh, giving out loans. Um, so that was interesting. I think on the cash app side, there also is a lot to unpack. Um, just one interesting thing that uh, the ROI curves uh, across cohorts, um, I think that's on, on page 40, um, are, you know, you can see that the payback periods are getting shorter. So the, the curves are kind of going to the up and to the left. Um, so, so the, so the month uh, payback period is getting shorter, which conceptually makes sense as they're rolling out more products on the cash app to see more monetization. So it makes sense, but it's just, again, kind of great to see that, that it's working. And then, um, another great chart, um, one of the last charts they put out, I think was the, um, the comparison in revenue per cohort before and after cash card adoption and revenue mm. um, kind of doubled, I think, even after after six months uh, adopting cash card. And that's, you know, I think it, it shows you that how powerful cash card is, but that it's not just some prepaid you know, debit card um, that, you know, a bunch of other fintechs and challenger banks, and we, we, were, we, uh, we might talk about um, them later have, but that you know there there is a unique um, product attached to the cash card which is boost um, which I think I, I would guess you know is responsible for, uh, in, in, in a larger part for that doubling in revenue just because it makes the cash card so much stickier um, from what I understand they are also already doing or working on um, uh, uh, personal uh, kind of um, Personal personalization of the of cash card and the boost function, so um, it may get even stickier for for individuals. And yeah, so that's that's kind of three takeaways from my side. Um, but but yeah, there's there's so much to unpack here. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, I guess echoing some of the the, the cash app um, uh, data points we got was just comparing the seller business to the cash app business in terms of ROI. Um, and they basically uh, gave us the data points that uh, the payback period in terms of generating 5x on their return uh, within Cash App is about two and a half years. Uh, and the seller ecosystem is, is roughly five. Um, so you have a business that's growing 118% uh, with a payback of two and a half years um, for 5x return relative to the seller business, which is again the slower business. So it's an interesting dynamic taking place where. Um, that is occurring. So I thought that was uh, extremely uh, insightful uh, combined with what you were saying about the cohorts. Um, second for me was we're in an environment that uh, is obviously fluid and, and extremely dynamic. And 
and, and uh, CEO Jack Dorsey stated yesterday, and again, going back to Cash App, is that they saw uh, record first-time uh, users last week. Um, so again, they are having the ability, despite the environment, to attract different types of users, likely for different use cases. Uh, we're tracking, and I know you're tracking, uh, Twitter feeds of, of Cash App and, and um, other types of channels they're on. I think we're, we're six days in on um, them handing out um, uh, uh, dollars through Cash App, uh, basically in, in terms of their, um, they usually do it on Fridays and, and, and they've done it for about uh, six days in a row. Um, and that is likely attracting a ton of uh, new users and bringing them into the ecosystem of which, uh, like you were saying, hopefully will become cash card users, which uh, then become much more monetizable users um, uh, over longer periods. And then the last one, which uh, I don't know how much we can take away from it uh, in a, a silo, but Jack yesterday, as they were uh, talking out loud, was the comment around and I don't know how many people caught it, but said that the current situation may create a totally new ecosystem by itself. I don't know exactly what he was referring to, um, but we know that he has created two ecosystems by itself from scratch. Uh, and then also there is the Square Crypto uh, ecosystem that he's trying to kind of launch and get off the ground. Um, but it's just interesting to hear that it's situations like this where your sellers, your merchants all become pretty innovative in the time of necessity and that they are thinking uh, with, that, with that type of mindset of um, if there is a need out there, potentially we could create a solution and it may be very well different from what we already have. Um, so bigger picture, um, it's that type of mindset that I think as investors, uh, we all appreciate uh, as it relates to Square as a whole. Um, for segments, I kind of wanted to spin off uh, at least the three facts or, or three takeaways each was uh, digging into uh, the different segments. Uh, so let's start with Cash App. I think for a long time, this part of the business was mostly underappreciated by many. I think uh, Cash App ultimately has three things that play in its favor. Um, and two of those are market driven. Uh, and then one of those is specifically square driven. Um, so, so laying those, those three um, uh, uh, factors that play in their favor. One is a massive market. Yesterday within their deck, they assigned about a $60 billion market size for this category. And they, they classified it as sending. So peer to peer spending, where you're talking about spending at merchants or even through boost. Uh, and then investing with their new product for Bitcoin and stock trading. Second is, is the optionality uh, as they become more of a central uh, part of consumers' uh, um, financial ecosystem, so being a central wallet to consumers. And then third is just the, the creativity and execution, uh, which is arguably, in our opinion, the hardest thing to do, uh, which allows them to obviously uh, take advantage of the, the large market and the optionality um, that it does have. Now you have uh, done a ton of work on Cash App, and we've shared some of that data back and forth. But just just walk us through maybe what makes Cash App 
so unique as just a product and how you're thinking about the opportunity there? Sure. Uh, so I think it's a good way to start thinking about the opportunity and kind of the uniqueness of Cash App from that market opportunity perspective. Um, I think yesterday they said, you know, it's a 60 billion market size with sending, spending and investing. And if you think about that market, you know, two things um, come up. That's it's, it's a big opportunity and there will be a lot of um, players going for that opportunity. And secondly, there are also a lot of consumers up for grabs to acquire, right, by Cash App or, or other players going for the opportunity. So for me, uh, two important points are the customer acquisition. You know, am, am I the company that is acquiring these customers? And then the second point is customer retention. You know, am I the, the company who's able to keep those customers engaged and not churn uh, off to the next kind of fintech app that launches? And I think that Cash App has very um, um, unique uh, yeah, uh, qualities to address those two points. Um, and those, th this quality for that Cash App has um, are network effects, peer-to-peer -peer network effects. Uh, the Cash App at its core is a P2P payments network. That's how they started um, in, in 2013. Um, and that's how the majority of the user acquisition is, is still happening today. So what does that mean that that uh, P2P payments network? Well, basically, it means that um, the value each user receives from using the network, from using Cash App, increases as a function of the overall number of people using the app. Right. So that means a customer is interested to actually sign up others his friends, his family, classmates, and so and so on, to the app, uh, to Cash App as well, so that he can send them money, but they can also send him money, right? They can split bills and so forth. And if you look at the adoption rate of such P2P payment networks like Cash App, uh, also across age groups, uh, they appear to um, you know, see faster adoption even than social media did 10 years ago. That you know, it's also uh, social media is also benefiting from these network effects, but it looks like that you know payment peer-to-peer -peer payment networks could be adopted even faster, which conceptually also makes sense because you know you might want your parents or grandparents on Venmo on Cash App uh, to send you some allowance, but you maybe don't want them on Instagram stalking your stories from spring break or some mm -hmm. other party, right? So that could be even more powerful. Um, and, and these network effects, so, so these network effects are very uh, powerful in customer acquisition, um, just because they kind of spread uh, by themselves uh, at, at some point and make, and make the customer acquisition very cheap. So for example, Cash App's customer acquisition costs, um, we think are around $20. Banks spend around $1,000, up to $1,500 uh, for new customers. So Cash App's marketing strategy with that is really fascinating. They target specific communities, uh, specific user networks, for example, by doing ads on certain podcasts, on an uh, AI podcast or on a sports podcast. Uh, they collaborate with rap artists who then kind of push the Cash App to their followers. They, they sponsor esports teams and so on. So what they're doing is they're inserting the cash app into these communities or user networks and then kind of let the network effects do their magic 
and let the app expand uh, in in you know in those networks between those peers in those networks and get sticky. So that's the acquisition part. And what they can do after that is they can upsell those users to more and more products. Right, there are a couple of products on Cash App. So when many users start with the P2P functionality, but then they might find out that they can invest in Bitcoin. Then they uh, they find out that they can invest in stocks. That there's this cash card that offers these interesting boost programs and so forth. So the users stay engaged by using all those products. You know, you can even think about it as kind of a sunk cost. You know, if you have money uh, invested in Bitcoin or or in, um, in in the stock market, or if you have personalized boosts, um, you know that's that those are reasons for you to to keep using the app. And then obviously there's a social part where you don't want to leave the app when your whole friends are on it because now if you're together at dinner and you can't pay them, it turns into kind of a uncomfortable social situation. And we've heard uh, proof of those. Um, qualities of the users actually being more sticky also on the earnings calls. I think on the most recent one, they said that, you know, Bitcoin users um, generate double the, the revenue of, of non-Bitcoin users, or I think, yeah, something around those lines. Um, so so that's where the stickiness also comes into play. And I think those are the, the um, really the, the qualities, you know, acquiring the users uh, cheaply, keeping them engaged, and then kind of keeping them from churning which makes the cash app so special um, because if you, you know, look at challenger banks or other, even, you know, normal banks or, or, or um, you know, other fintechs, um, they don't have these peer-to-peer -peer networks because they are, um, because they don't have P2P payments. Right. Um, and, and I think that's, that's super interesting. And then kind of the more uh, broader outlook, um, you know, if you do some math, um, if you kind of think about okay, how how much are investors valuing each Cash App user on a market cap basis? If you use Square's you know uh, kind of broad across the company price to sales multiple for it, which you can argue about if investors value the Cash App higher. But I think I, like like Sean said, I think many investors still don't really get this story. So that's just that's just use. Uh, Square's general price to sales multiple. If you use that, um, investors on a market cap basis um, are valuing each Cash App users at around $150. And that's pre-corona. So that's probably another number now. Um, so $150. If you compare that, what VCs pay for Challenger Bank users, that's in the thousands, goes up to two, dollars $3,000. And if you look at what uh, uh, investors pay for a bank user in terms of market cap, that's around three thousand five hundred dollars. So there's this big kind of um, discrepancy between the cash app user, uh, how, how uh, he or she is valued, and really a fraction of a bank user. Um, and obviously today there's a big difference between a bank user kind of at maturity as a Chase or a Wells Fargo, and a cash app user that is you know maybe primarily uses the P2P functionality and a little bit of cash card and a little bit of this and that, but conceptually you know, also as Cash App is maybe penetrating, as we're seeing, um, uh, you know, um, more financially fluent user bases, kind of moving out of the underbanked, underserved um, uh, segment of the population, you know, they really have the opportunity to capture more and more valuation per user, so to say, and, um, you know, generate more and more revenue uh, off those users. And at, as we've seen with the kind of, uh, um, uh, ROI um, 
uh, charts that we saw yesterday, you know, that's working out uh, apparently, um, we could see kind of from the investor perspective, maybe a shift to towards investors saying, okay, maybe Cash App is doing what they're what what they what they are set out to do in their words, which is to build a global banking platform, and that could completely turn around the valuation of of Cash App users, completely turn around the valuation of Cash App, um, and and I think you know that's a big opportunity of growing these uh, cheaply acquired Cash App users into you know from a valuation perspective something that um, resembles more banks um, than, than, than uh, you know, just these peer-to-peer uh, -peer, um, digital wallets um, today. Um, really, you know, for us, for us, the key term here is digital wallet. Um, you know, an, an application on your mobile phone, which you can use to, you know, do multiple consumer financial uh, products, use multiple consumer, consumer financial products, similar to what we've seen with WeChat Pay and Alipay in China, maybe not the same, um, as, as there, but basically, you know, one application that offers these functionalities all in one place. And I think that's where Cash App is going. And I think that's very exciting um, also from an valuation perspective for the company. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I think from a kind of what you're saying is there's there, there will be an inflection point, assuming um, the, the company continues to execute and provide more and more services um, within the app. Um, and there's something about the network effect here that is, is in my opinion, just different being that the network really starts with trust uh, on the way in. Um, Cause we're talking about uh, financials. We're talking about someone placing their capital inside some sort of app. Um, so there's trust on the way in. When you look at traditional social media and the network effects there, it's not necessarily trust on the way in. You're putting a username and password and, and kind of um, seeing what it's about. Uh, here you're talking about storing, uh, some of your value, uh, whatever that is relative to your net worth, um, and then transferring those assets. And again, as you move deeper and deeper into new product lines, uh, that trust continues to build, which therefore likely becomes a stickier user. Um, and again, those ROI curves, uh, which 5X ROI in two and a half years, um, as you build out that product portfolio, will only actually probably move in just depending on, on what they're spending. And then obviously the opportunity set is, is so massive given uh, the population here in the U.S., but also beyond that as they move outside of kind of what you were referencing, the underbanked, uh, which was the main mission and focus as they went on uh, or into here. So staying on Cash App, I guess I have another question, which is what would so, – so we see what we have at face value today with, with the, three, the three spending – uh, sending and 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 investing um, that's broad in nature. But what would you expect the next product within Cash App to be, or even just directionally, uh, where's Cash App headed from a uh, utility or or however you want to frame it? We've talked in the past a little bit about it, but kind of lay down what you think uh, maybe the next product uh, could be. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think directionally it's 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 what they've been you know saying if you read the job postings if you listen to uh jack on the earnings calls it's to build more and more uh consumer financial products and become really a banking platform um i think that's what they're after in the long term i think short term um they i think they look uh very good on the crypto product or 
rather Bitcoin product execution right now. Um, so I think uh, uh, what's already live for uh, Android users and what should be the next product kind of rolled out across um, you know, all users also for, for the iOS users is to purchase uh, Bitcoin uh, in the form of Satoshis. Uh, Satoshi is a unit of Bitcoin. It's the smallest unit of Bitcoin equivalent to uh, uh, 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. Um, so, and I think that's interesting from a psychological perspective where, you know, if uh, the, the everyday cash app user, if he buys you know, one Bitcoin, uh, if he buys one Bitcoin today, that would be a lot of money. Rather, if he uh, purchases, you know, uh, $10 worth of Bitcoin today, that's, um, you know, I, I, I won't do the math, but like 0 0.002 or 001 um, uh, a Bitcoin, which, um, you know, doesn't really sound that much and isn't really that maybe appealing for a lot of users who are not really into Bitcoin. They might think, oh, I have now this like fraction of something laying around here. What is it even worth? Um, and with the Satoshis, now if you purchase, you know, a small amount of Bitcoin, you are now, um, you know, uh, holding hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of Satoshis. And I think that could be interesting for the kind of overall adoption um, of, of Bitcoin on Cash App. And then I think on Bitcoin, maybe we could see an auto buy uh, function. Maybe we could see kind of Bitcoin being integrated into Boost. Uh, so to receive uh, Bitcoin back if you, if you uh, use your cash card. Um, and then um, maybe also short or rather medium term, um, what becomes relevant, I think, is the ILC conditional approval. So they what, 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 so they received um, the additional uh, approval for um, uh, the, the ILC banking charter last week. And what that enables them to do is offer, you know, not only lending products on the business side, but also on the consumer side. So I think um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that you will. Uh, later this year, maybe uh, 2021, um, you know, uh, I think a, a credit card um, would be very interesting. Would not have gotten a credit credit card uh, without Cash App. Um, you know, maybe if they if they are pushing the direct deposit uh, product more, you could see something in the overdraft uh, um, category generally. You know, I think they can do a lot um, more uh, just just because of the amount of data they generate of their users, um, and they can use all that data, um, you know, to price risk and to offer you know very interesting dynamic products, um, which they're already doing with Square Capital. But um, I think they they have a lot of potential um, to from like I said to to kind of harvest that data that they're collecting cross okay. products and use that for new products, especially on the lending side. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I tend to agree if you're thinking about the next product, I think starting with kind of personal finance um, is likely the, the first kind of phase uh, credit card uh, with, with the recent news with the, the bank charter. Um, that makes the most sense. If you look at some of the other kind of financial products and before this, I was just scanning through the app store to see kind of what is trending towards the top. And you see, you see apps like Truebill or, or Albert um, you see other tax-related apps like TurboTax, but maybe that's just slightly more complex and uh, at least behind the scenes um, and much more dynamic in terms of 
um, not as streamlined for a, an initial product. Um, and then one interesting, interesting uh, kind of app I saw, and not an app, but seeing Schwab at number 47 overall in the finance category. Um, and again, I'm, I'm in there looking for innovative um, uh, apps and you see how low a traditional broker um, is relative to let's say Robinhood. So this is the financial category and, and Cash App is number one, Robinhood is number two at the moment. And you have PayPal uh, and some others, Chime and, and, and again, and then you see more of the traditional um, old school vendors in a sense um, at, at number 47 overall in the finance category. And I just thought it was a, an eye opener uh, in terms of uh, potentially how far behind they are in terms of having that, that, that direct relationship with their, with their customers. Um, but again, stepping back and, and thinking of directionally where Cash App could be headed is, is budgeting and then going beyond that years down the road uh, as they open up the platform. Um, one thing for them, at least from a, an experience standpoint, is just ensuring that there is some sort of ease of use because uh, the, obviously the more products you put within a, an app, uh, the more real estate or less real estate you, you then therefore have. And um, there is this fine line between that. But given that they've had the experience in the seller ecosystem of, of building and expanding their product portfolio from making an initial sale to then adding things like payroll, uh, adding things like marketing and, and gift cards and loyalty programs, um, they have experience of obviously building the ecosystem up, um, which is, again, is the beauty of this model where Cash App is well behind in terms of its maturity to its seller ecosystem. So they've experienced the curve of, of development and then adoption and using that, that knowledge and information. And the same thing goes with Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter as well. Again, an app-focused uh, um, a product uh, where they've built that product portfolio as well. So he has experience in terms of, of understanding the real estate and, and user interface or UI needs and within an app. Um, I guess stepping away from the Cash App specific um, on a standalone basis, I know on many occasions Venmo and, and trying to look beyond Cash App and looking at the competitors here is is Venmo is, is often seen as the competitor to Cash App, but I think as time has, has gone on, at least from my standpoint, and I, and I think you, you likely agree, is that competition is becoming less and less direct. Uh, they're competing clearly for real estate on, the, on, the, on our devices, um, and Venmo's seeing app usage and download volumes continue to grow, but I think the emphasis remains single usage, the social interaction happens within the app. Uh, conversely, you look at Cash App and they've used uh, external social platforms to, to influence engagement, usage, downloads, uh, and then make the app format itself much more functional for day-to-day -day use. Um, one stat, at least I like to bring up always, is how Cash App has 1.2 million Instagram followers. And, and the same dynamic is true on other social platforms. Uh, and then if you compare that to, let's say, Venmo, which again is, is seen as a peer-to-peer, -peer more social platform, um, it has only 18,000 Instagram followers. So there's this interesting dynamic where Venmo's social uh, presence happens within the app and Cash App's social presence happens outside of the app. Um, 
And ultimately that is driving tons of uh, new users to Cash App because they are allowed to, or they're, they're able to um, uh, influence uh, externally to then bring them internally into the app and then give them the use case and functionality to uh, become daily uh, uh, users. So, so Venmo is, and what I wanted to ask you was, it's one competitor in the space. There's also companies like Chime, uh, Intuit, which just acquired uh, Credit Karma. Um, there's Robinhood. Uh, there's other international players and neobanks uh, that we've discussed in the past. But how are some of these one international players, in, in, in your view, and even some of the, the others like Robinhood, positioning themselves as this, as this market continues to shake out? Yeah, I think on the um, international front from international challenger banks, um, or I think you can even say European challenger banks because that's where they're really coming from. So we're talking about N26 from Germany, um, Monzo from the UK, Revolut from the UK, uh, which launched yesterday. Yeah, and, and then- um, In the US, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly, they're coming from the UK and they mm -hmm. Revolut launched in the US yesterday. Um, and, and those apps, right, those challenger banks, they are launching in the U.S. where you have, uh, I think, according to one report that came out last year, at least 25 challenger banks, you know, um, and, and in those you have Chime and Cash App, which combined control uh, maybe 30 million active users. Um, so the market over here in the U.S. is really, um, you know, it's really competitive. Um, and as much I, uh, you know, coming from Germany, <laughs> as much I would um, love to see them kind of succeed, I, um, uh, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, so, for example, N26 launched in, in U.S. Uh, July 2019. In January 2020, they announced that they acquired um, 250,000 customers in those uh, six months um, that they were live. Um, and you know the important thing there is that those twenty five uh, those two hundred fifty thousand uh, two hundred fifty thousand that they announced um, those are the registered users those are not the the active users those are you know users who who downloaded the app but might not even use it so maybe they just downloaded it kind of out of curiosity or something so it doesn't really give you any kind of um, or it's, it's it's not really that accurate in informing um, you know um, how the app is actually doing um you know and and from what you earlier said sean um about uh cash app you know rolling out these massive give out campaigns um over recent days i think it's fair to say um that two hundred fifty thousand users is probably what cash app acquires and like a, on like a good super cash app friday um, and, and that's the equivalent to what N26 acquired over six months. So I think that just puts things into perspective. Um, on, on the Revolut, there was a Revolut launched yesterday. I think that Revolut, um, out, out of all of the European challenger banks, might be the one with the best chances because they've just been very aggressive in international rollout. Um, they, I think they have um, the, the, most, uh, the, the highest number of geographies of any challenger bank live um, globally. Um, so I would expect um, them to kind of be aggressive in the US as well. And they've actually been able to generate um, kind of these organic um, network effects in the US, uh, sorry, in the UK, um, as they were scaling over there um, in recent years. 
Um, but yeah, overall, um, yeah, the, the market is very crowded in the US, you know, the European guys, uh, the, the domestic challenger banks. Um, then you also have kind of bigger fintechs coming into the picture, like you said, with um, Intuit and Credit Karma, also Lending Club acquired a bank, wants to get into consumer uh, financials um, or, or consumer banking rather. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for all of them. I think uh, one, one interesting thing you also have to keep in mind is kind of the regulation perspective with, um, like I said, Square receiving um, the bank charter um, and also viral money receiving the bank charter. So that might you know, turn out to be a competitive advantage if you don't have to have this partner bank, which is this you know, existing model right now of all the fintechs that um, you, know, you have to partner with a, um, with a, uh, with a FDIC insured and regulated partner bank in order to offer all those products, right? In some sense, all these fintechs and challenger banks are just the front end of those often small town um, you know, FDIC insured banks. And now if you have your own banking charter, you can be a little bit more flexible. Um, you know, the unit economics might become better. So maybe that's going to be a competitive um, advantage and kind of a differentiator going forward. And from that perspective, you know, Square now might have this competitive advantage. Maybe Varomane has it. Um, I think for the European guys, it's going to be very tricky to obtain this, um, you know, this, this bank charter. Uh, we could go kind of into detail, but from what the FDIC says, I think it doesn't look that good because basically the new rules around that um, also uh, include that the parent company has to be um, FDIC, FDIC um, kind of, uh, not regulated, but um, kind of approved. So the FDIC will, will look heavily into the, in the parent company. Um, and I don't know if N26 in Germany or Revolut in the UK you know, once their um, once their finances uh, wants to hand over their finances to to the UK uh, to to the FDIC. So, a lot of a lot of right. things going on there. I think what it comes down to, from my perspective, is what I've talked about earlier about Cash App's um, advantage. Um, you know, with their with their organic peer to peer payments network effects, how they're acquiring customers, how they're keeping them engaged, and how they keep them from churning. I think that's you know a very very important differentiator in this very crowded space. For sure, and we just saw. I mean, th this week I got that alert that then I shared with you about the um, uh, Cash App in the UK quickly. Right um, after their very first kind of marketing trial run, shot up to a number two um, in the UK App Store. Um, and I, I suspect as as time goes on, and they continue to perfect their marketing um, tools. Um, they'll continue to do likely in some form or fashion what they they've done in the U S and uh, you can't give the cash app team enough credit on the marketing side um, to build their, their audience. Um, and it's showing up in the results in terms of downloads. And, and at the end of March, it's going to be interesting to see what that download profile looks like. Uh, and it's, it's again, March is, has been historically, not historically, but this year, one of the more difficult months to think about uh, as the world has changed. Um, and if we continue to see something where Cash App's audience downloads, engagement uh, improves uh, in moments like this, I mean, what does that say about um, the 
resilience of the platform on a go forward basis. Um, so it, it says a lot. So for Cash App, I think we'll end there and let's talk briefly about the seller ecosystem and super brief. Um, but I think right now it's just a great time to think about how the seller business is, is vertically built. Um, given that some of the sellers on, on Square, they're facing all types of challenges as their brick and mortar retail uh, continues to be uh, shut down and they're looking for support from um, different types of vendors. So if you have a piecemeal uh, point of sale solution with uh, your bank on one side and then your payroll provider on another side and other types of, of software all piecemeal together, I think ultimately that puts you in a um, a different place relative to if you are a merchant on Square where they completely understand your your needs. They're seeing your revenue. They're seeing your location and, and your historical uh, revenue prior to the this occasion. They have a loan outstanding potentially on 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 your your business that you have to pay back. But they're also understanding that you have cash flow needs. So uh, this month they they obviously announced the the shutdown uh, or the 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 uh, refund of their March software payments uh, that merchants have to pay them. So they're giving them a little bit of support on the on the software spend side. They're also halting some of the the loan interest payments that that they generally collect on a monthly basis uh, or on a transaction basis, um, and doing so in the best interest interest of their merchants. Uh, which again is very, very different. And at the same time, they're able to create new functionality driven by the business needs of, of their merchants today. So quickly they rolled out curbside pickup um, and added that to their software stack uh, this week. Uh, and yesterday they, they announced how they're going to continue to emphasize what sellers need today. And And, and again, when you think back and you look at what a non-verticalized full stack um, software hardware player would be doing in this environment and how the merchant would be have to kind of go back and forth between banks and, and software vendors to ask for support. Here you have Square on one side with a pristine balance sheet that again, they say they, that they can last over two years given their cash position and their cash burn. Um, they are best positioned to support their merchants, to keep their merchants um, uh, alive and well, um, and then get through this the situation on the other side, potentially even stronger with a stronger relationship with their merchants for the long term. And then when you talk about ROIs and it goes back to the numbers, it's uh, right it's the ac- acquisition cost and then how long you you hold that that customer, um, which ultimately will will build your potential ROI and the timing of it. So I wanted to get your picture how you're thinking about seller today. Um, and then also, uh, we're obviously in this environment, but the future of that platform and just getting your brief insights uh, into that. Yeah, I think it's important to remember from, from a high level perspective, kind of what Square has done over recent years and what kind of company Square is. I think you put it uh, perfectly uh, at the very beginning of our conversation when you said that Square built up two ecosystems from scratch. Um, Square is a company that always has operated 
in an environment of uncertainty, maybe chaos. If you're, you know, if you're building completely, um, you know, pr you know, new products, um, you know, if you're solving problems that lead to other problems that you have to solve and and so forth. Um, you know, Square has been a newcomer in in the payments industry. Um, they're they're not some kind of legacy provider that is sitting there and has maybe to kind of uh, fend off their market position, but hasn't ha doesn't really have to do much now. Like I said, they've been they're used to this environment, I think, um, to this um, to this uncertainty, um, and I think that's kind of conceptually for me, um, uh, you know, very important, and that's why I trust you know a company like Square in these tough times much more than other companies. And I think that the call yesterday reflected that, you know, very well when, when they talked about, and you just, you just talked about it as well, kind of what they're doing from the merchants, you know, launching curbside pickup, um, you know, in, in, in a matter of days, they put up a video on YouTube that shows, you know, kind of step-by-step -step, um, for merchants, how they can set that up. Um, they talked about this, uh, research uh, platform that they're putting out that they're doing webinar with uh, you know in w between merchants and so forth um, so I think that's that's just um, great great to hear and really what what I expect from a company like square um, you know how how to act in this situation and you know going forward uh, you know in this especially in this situation I think um, yeah, Square's, Chris, uh, Square's mission always has been to empower small businesses. And small businesses are going to get creative now. And I think Square uh, should be the perfect partner for them to, you know, um, be creative and somehow survive this. Um, and uh, yeah, so so I think from, from that perspective, um, you know, they, they, they are the kind of company to weather the storm. For sure. Yeah, no, um, for, for, for seller, one thing I think, uh, at least from a, from a future standpoint is um, separating the hardware from the software. I mean, we're seeing Apple do that slightly today, specifically with music and moving that into new ecosystems um, or new platforms, operating systems. I meant um, you can begin to think about how um, their software can, can move across different uh, operating systems um, so you, you take a vertical approach, you become specialist in all different components of, of the stack, uh, and then you separate that out as, as, as time goes on, ultimately opening up your opportunity set, specifically as you cross geographies. Um, I think ultimately that, that is the, the potential future of it um, in terms of opening up the seller community um and obviously recently they sold their caviar business so they're trying to move out of more unprofitable less sticky more competitive parts of the market and truly emphasize the areas in which they believe they have a uh, a real value to offer um and important and critical parts of it so we're seeing a lot of the innovation they're doing when we're analyzing um, different types of uh, either job postings or 
their patent applications that they're putting out there, both on the hardware side and the software side, whether it's using data inside a restaurant to, to best configure uh, and analyze where movement inside the restaurant is taking place to reshuffle your tables to have the best flow uh, within. Um, so again, they're, they're, they're taking likely what they do best um, and optimizing some of those to increase and enhance the value that they're providing to their merchants. Then over time, uh, believing that they'll likely extend that out <clears throat> to new operating models. Um, but again, so I wanted to at least end it shortly and stop there in terms of uh, really digging into both. But from a high level, just if you had uh, a, a clean takeaway um, for everybody, and then maybe when we uh, get the actual investor day, we can come back and, and, and revisit some of those topics and just kind of do it again. Um, but if you just had one takeaway um, outside of the three you gave at the beginning, um, just from the, the overall square business, what, what would it be? Um, tricky outside of the three uh, uh, <laughs> I mentioned before, <laughs> but I think it's just to see the, the unit economics of Cash App and how that business is growing. And like you said, um, you know, how it's generating, um, you know, return. I think that's, that's really great to see. And, um, you know, especially just, uh, or, or generally from a FinTech perspective, uh, it's very rare that we get those insights into, you know, um, uh, uh, a consumer financial company um, that, you know, in, in that, in those sectors, most of these, FinTechs, these challenger banks are private, so uh, we don't see any of this information. So um, I think it's great to see that, um, you know, what, what, what great of a job Cash App is doing and likely is doing probably a better, better job than many of the private FinTechs are, which are valued like crazy. So that's, that's good to see. Yeah. Cool. Well, that is it. And um, yeah, when the investor day happens, we'll, uh, we'll get back on and, and uh, potentially get on this. And, and if not, we'll, we'll be in touch regardless. So that is it. I appreciate you coming on, spending some time. Hope uh, you stay safe during this moment and we'll be in touch. Yes. Thank you so much. Stay safe. All righty. Bye now. Bye.